1: First of all, I don't think that even if we would do studios like the one that I mentioned before, we can
0: educate people to be utopian. Welcome back to our five-part series to celebrate the centenary of the School of Architecture, Design and Planning. I'm Dallas Rogers, host of City Road Podcast. In the first episode, we looked at the social and cultural life of the architecture degree. In this episode, we're taking a deep dive into the idea of utopia. The utopian visions of architects, planners, philosophers, and sociologists are important speculative projects. And Daniello believes there's still a place for utopian thinking. So my name is Danilo Palazzo. I'm the director of the school planning at the University of
1: Cincinnati, where I started six years ago in 2012. My background is in
0: architecture and in planning. I start by asking, what is utopia as a concept, as an idea, and as a practice? Well, I think that the more
1: I study utopia, the more I could sound weird, but in the practical component of utopia, how utopia or utopian ideas or visioning ideas, because I don't think that we can just uh, call utopia some of the ideas that we include in the history of utopia, have some practical component or some effect on the daily practice of build environment or the construction of build environment and city. So I think it's important to study utopia, to understand what utopia is. And what I'm trying to do is actually to get students interested in utopia and uh, try to imagine what would be the future or the future's futures of our cities uh, and to answer some questions that are important now like what we can do about climate change or what we can do about uh, food security or refugee camps and so all these ideas that actually are Issues, big issues, how can we face as planner nowadays? So these are my, and my interest at the moment.
0: The history of utopia. What is the history of this idea?
1: The name itself, utopia, was uh, coined in 1516. It was Thomas More that call utopia an island that he said someone visited and so he described the the island and he called the name of the they called the island utopia which means no place but we can actually see that uh, utopian ideas of course we cannot call utopia because utopia was not coined at, uh, as a name yet is is a long history uh, i think that uh, even the Bible, when it described the uh, when Adam and Eve lived in the garden, that was a kind of utopia because it was a harmony between different uh, species. And so uh, men and women and, and, and uh, animals and vegetables, so all the realms lived together like in a big harmony. And then, of course, there are some other examples, uh, Plato, Aristotle, And Thomas Campanella and other created utopian ideas. And that sometimes the idea of utopia uh, was connected with the idea of ideal cities. And we can see, and it's pretty famous, the Piero della Francesca Ideal City. There are three versions of that. And we can see how the cities order with all the buildings and the architecture that was perfectly aligned and and organized in a very rational way. Or we can think about the stellar-shaped cities like Palmanova or Sambioneta in Italy that uh, answer the issue of a better defense of the people that lived in the city, but at the same time they try to define the ideal, City or the the way the ideal way to live in in the city. So the history of Utopia is longer or it's older than the Thomas More uh, Utopia, which the, the gave idea the, name. the idea is older
0: than the name itself.
1: Exactly, exactly, exactly. But of course, I mean, it was a great idea. I think the, from Thomas More when he invented this term, no place, and Utopia for from that moment means. A place that is, is, is no place yet, but it would be a place. Mm. So, a place where people live together. Harmony, I think, it's a good term uh, that uh, describes the difference, uh, how the different components of the society, the built environment, and the society that it lives in lived together. So they lived in harmony. And Mm. if you think about Ebenezer Howard with the garden cities, he's used harmony between city and
0: country as a way to describe the advantage of his ideas of garden cities. Mm. And of course, I've got you here for the centenary podcast, and Mm -hmm. I've got you in the history spot. But what you're really doing there is talking about the history of an idea and a term, but you're putting it in the present for the people who are using it, but it's also looking towards the future as the ideal city to come or to make or to produce in some way. That That's
1: correct. I think we can see utopia as a from an historical point of view. So we can study utopia, and we are not the first one to do this. If you think about Lewis Manford in 1965, he wrote The History of Utopia. Fishman, Robert Fishman, more recently, Choe, who's a a French urbanist, wrote the history of utopia. But I think that utopia, we need to call ourselves utopian if you want
0: to face the future of our cities. Tell me about that. What does it mean for an architect, for an urban planner, for an urbanist to be a utopian?
1: Well, I think I have a sort of nostalgia of uh, utopian thinkers more recently have uh, studied, more intensively than than before, Paolo Soleri. Paolo Soleri, I think, is pretty well known. He was born in in Italy, in Torino. And after the Second World War, he went to Arizona to join Frank Lloyd Wright in Taliesin West. And so he started to work with, uh, with Frank Lloyd Wright and then at one point he found himself in contrast with uh, Frank Lloyd Wright ideas. So it was a barely at the same time then when Frank Lloyd Wright wrote the broader City, or he envisioned. That is another utopia actually. The combination of country and city from the Frank Lloyd Wright point of view. And Paolo Soleil was a on the other side of the spectrum. So it was uh, about density and densification. And so starting from that moment, he started to design cities that actually were just like one big, huge, among building for 800,000 people or two millions of people in just one building. And so, mm-hmm. And the images that uh, he created, the, the building that he created, And even some of the realisation that he did, Arcosanti and Cosanti, both in Arizona, are very interesting, and they're interesting from a sustainability point of view. Green buildings were part of uh, of his ideas. But when you read his interview, or when you read his uh, theoretical writing, you see that actually all these ideas that are, you know, these buildings slash cities ideas, which are fantastic for a science fiction Mm. movie, uh, actually have a very deep concern about environmental issues and sustainability. So uh, when I said I'm nostalgic about this kind of utopia is because Paolo Soleri designed something that was very interesting from many points of view. But at the same time, he was doing that because he believed that that was a way to save our planet it was a way to provide a plan b for Mm. for for humanity and so that is a kind of utopia that i'm i'm looking for and i think that uh, so far i mean maybe paulo soleil was the very last utopian thinker Mm. at the large scale But we need actually to call ourselves utopian. And I think that in planning programs, we need to ask our students, to inquire our students and our faculty to think about the future in that way. So, and to answer basically two questions. The first one is the what if, and then we can Ask the question, so what if the, all the cities would be uh, without cars driven by humans and there would be all autonomous vehicles? So what that will affect our cities? But the second question, which is more important, I think, is the what now? What we can do now in front of uh, some challenges like climate change like food security, Mm. water security, urbanization, and so on. So the what if and what now are two questions
0: that we have Mm. to ask our students. Because it's interesting in the climate change debate, climate scientists have been very good at telling us what the problem is. And science is very good at telling us what the problem is. It's a diagnostic tool. But It's perhaps not as good at telling us what we should do, where we should go, what we can do in the future, because that is a speculative enterprise. So I guess what you're calling for here in this utopian ideal, in calling us all utopians, or calling on us to become utopians, is to be more speculative about the future. Right, exactly.
1: And I think I can quote one Australian that actually I, I met. We like that. Yeah, <laughs> a few years ago in Cincinnati is Tony Fry. Tony Fry came to Cincinnati and we spent some times together. Uh, we envisioned actually to create a course together that was called Extreme Urbanism. Uh, unfortunately, was not able to come back to to Cincinnati for several reasons. But uh, Tony Fry wrote several books and he also practiced as architect and urban planners. And I remember one competition that he joined I guess it was a three or four years ago I'm not uh, sure about that and it was about Gold Coast uh, Australia 80 kilometers north of Brisbane and so uh, the there was this competition about the future of Gold Coast and uh, his answer the answer of Tony Fryan and his team was to figure out a way to consider Gold Coast as not completely that mostly flooded because of climate change. Mm. And so he designed the future of, the, of, of Gold Coast through that uh, idea. And so I think that he faced one issue that even the people in Gold Coast didn't want to face. Mm. And we do not want to face. We, we try to figure out, well, we can do something now in order to avoid the effect of climate change. But what if <laughs> the climate change will happen So what if Miami would be flooded? What if part of Australia would be flooded and Venice would be flooded? Mm.
0: Talking about the the place where I come from. So So how how are you including these ideas in your teaching? Well, I, I haven't
1: done yet. That's the plan That's a a
0: speculative project too. Exactly. It's a utopian project (laughs) if you want.
1: But that's the idea. So it's to maybe have a studio. And I'd like to have actually a studio that is not just uh, with uh, planning students, but I would like to have architectural students too. Mm -hmm. And I'd like also to have sociologists, Mm -hmm. other students, even journalists, people that can tell stories Mm -hmm. and can wrap up the stories in in a different way. Maybe
0: some podcasters.
1: Maybe. <laughs> maybe. That's a good <laughs> idea, Dallas. So have a combination of different students from different schools and programs together and, you know, pose these questions, what if or what now? And then listen to these young students that maybe or hopefully they won't have to answer these questions once will become professionals.
0: Mm.
1: But I think it's important actually for them to figure out what if.
0: What do you think the academy would say, the university would say about this type of teaching? Would it be welcomed? Are there barriers to doing speculative future-looking teaching in this way? Like I just imagine if I said, okay... This part of Australia will be flooded. Let's hypothesize that and do an urban design project about that. I just wonder how that would fly. What do you think? Well, I think that, uh, yes, there would be some,
1: some backlashes. So there would be some, some people that probably won't like that because it's a, it's a negative way to it's think also, about our future.
0: And it's a political statement in a, in a way as well.
1: It is. It is. But, I mean, I think that we have some freedom being academic, which is uh, an advantage mm. that we have to use. So we have the right to be free. We have the right to think and to pose questions that people maybe don't want to listen or they
0: want don't want to pose. But uh, Is it an we, obligation in a sort of Lefebvre
1: sense? In some way, it's an obligation, I think. It's an obligation. So instead of just thinking about how we can solve some small issues in well, small and, and probably I mean I'm I'm underestimated some of the issues that students usually uh, face, but what if we put together you know this group of people students and we ask them maybe on a voluntary basis it doesn't mean that it needs to be a mandatory kind of studio for all the planning students in our school or in other schools whatever but it's uh, maybe something like an experimental uh, way to combine different minds different faculty and pose questions that are as you said, could not be well-received. Mm. But maybe the, the uh,
0: answers would be received one day. What is the future of utopia as an idea and as a identity that we take on? Well, first of all, I don't think that even if we would do studios like
1: the one that I mentioned before, we can educate people to be utopian. Because uh, if you look at the history of... Uh, utopian thinkers they had people in sometimes in power position like like thomas more or some religious like thomas campanella they reacted to their personal issues and they reacted and they became utopian because they couldn't talk about the present or the future without using metaphors and so they use utopias
0: as a way to speak about the potential future is that because of their position they needed to abstract themselves from the power structures in kind of like a orwellian sense i guess i, I it's for thomas More for sure
1: and for thomas campanella too so when thomas More wrote utopia the book was not published in england at the time it was uh, published only in latin and it was published in the Netherlands, I think, at that time. And then he was translated many years after that he died, and he was actually sentenced to death by Henry VIII. Uh, and the idea of Utopia, if you if you read the book, or if at least if you understand the meaning of what Utopia Island was, was a society that was much more, well, I don't know if I can use democratic, but I mean a different than the one where Thomas More lived and also the the city or the organization of the built environment was completely different. So coming back to the how we can figure out utopian thinkers, as I said, I cannot think about educating people to be utopian, but at least, I mean, engage them, challenge them in thinking about the future, even the dark future, if you want. Uh, Or if not the dark future, a future that is already here. Think about the refugee camps. I mean, we will have uh, millions and millions of people that are leaving their countries for religious for wars, for famine, for, for different reasons. And some of them are living now in huge camps, just in the middle of the desert, in between countries. And uh, so how can we face as planners something like that? I mean, we are talking about places that have one million of inhabitants. Mm. So they are cities, but actually they are tents. So how do you organize this? How do you uh, create the opportunity for these people to get out that city or maybe to live in that city, but uh, to organize the city in a way that people can live in? So um, we probably need we are obliged as you said before to pose some questions and even some questions like this maybe we want create and educated new utopian thinkers but in some way we will put some seed in their mind and in order to think about the future
0: in a different way i think that's a great place to leave it thanks for joining me today
1: absolutely dallas thank you for having me
0: Thanks for listening to Episode 2 of our special five-part series to celebrate the centenary of the School of Architecture, Design and Planning here at the University of Sydney. I'm Dallas Rogers, host of City Road Podcast. And remember, you can subscribe to the podcast to hear more interviews from internationally renowned academics. All the links are on our website at cityroadpod.org.